Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us as we continue our journey through the book of Mark. And I just want to do a quick disclaimer. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm sorry. Please give us another chance. Try again next week or give us a few more weeks to, to, to give us a chance. Or if, if someone invited you and you just happened to get on the stream or you came to the church at home or you showed up to watch this or you're listening to the podcast for the very first time, again, I'm sorry. Try again. Go back with some other ones and come back next week because today it's going to be heavy and it's going to be hard. Um, and you might be tempted to shut your computer. You might be tempted to turn that TV off in the living room. You're going to want to jump off of Facebook or get off the YouTube, the YouTube stream or close out of your podcast. But I'm going to beg you and I'm going to ask you, we got to eat our vegetables first. There's some dessert coming at the end. Hang with me through this. And so I was reading, I was rereading the book of Mark. And at the beginning of the, before we launched this series, Pastor Chris invited us and, and kind of challenged us to read the whole book of Mark. And so I went back and reread it again because I knew I was going to have to teach multiple parts of it. So I wanted to make sure that I had a pretty good understanding of it. And so as I'm rereading it and I read chapter 10, which is where we are, and I'm like, oh my gosh, who's going to have to teach this? So I went back on the teaching calendar that was sent out early on, beginning of the year. And I look and I'm like, all right, I don't get this week. I was so relieved. And ironically, Chris calls me last week and says, hey, I'm going to move things around. Are you good with chapter 10, 1 through 16? I was like, I wanted to say no, but I was like, yes, I will do it. I think Chris did it strategically, so he didn't have to, but uh, it's going to be hard, but it's much necessary. We need to talk about this. And so we've been going through the book of Mark verse by verse, uh, chapter by, uh, you know, section by section, chapter by chapter, really breaking this thing down. And we've been, and we've been teaching what the Bible says. A lot of times I would love to, and I think we would love to make the Bible say what we would want it to say, to fit culture, to fit our feelings, to fit what we want and the lifestyle that we would like or prefer. But the reality is, and, and we've been studying the Bible this way for 10 chapters and over 30 weeks, it's been incredible to see what God has said, what Jesus had spoke and what the Bible really teaches us. And we're teaching it verbatim. And we've gone back in time to the first century in this, in this region of Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee and watching Jesus in his life, this man who split time like BC was before his life, before Christ and AD is after his life, the day of the Lord or the year of the Lord after he has existed on planet earth. His birthday is the greatest holiday we have on our calendar, Christmas and his death on Easter are the two biggest holidays on our calendar. We can't get it off. He has split time. We date our whole entire calendar system around him. We've been investigating what happened back then. Who was this man? What was his teaching? teachings and what does it apply and how does it apply to us today, 2021 years later. And all of 21, 2021, we've been going through this book verse by verse, section by section, chapter by chapter, and we are teaching, we've been teaching and reading and learning what he said and what God taught so directly. And you know what? The crowd is split. <laughs> the crowd is split. They don't know what to exactly to do with this guy. The spiritual leadership, the tension has been building ever since the beginning and almost in like chapter six, seven, eight, it got really thick and it's even building more and more and more to now chapter 10. The spiritual leadership wants him dead, executed, gone. 
And so there's a bounty and a price on his head and the spiritual leadership now has a perfect trap for him. They're like, you know what? I think we've got him. We've got this question. He's in the right geographical location. We got the perfect trap for him. And so on this question, this topic, I've just been stalling because I didn't want to get there, but here we go. It's on marriage and divorce, marriage and divorce. The Pharisees, the religious leaders are going to ask him about marriage and divorce. We'll pick up beginning at chapter 10 in Mark verses 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus, he goes across the sea, he goes beyond the Jordan. He's now in this region of Judea and there's a crowd that forms as they always do. And it was his custom that he taught them. And the very early on in this series, chapters one, two, three, we really hit it hard that what was Jesus's purpose of coming to earth? It was to teach. It was to teach. And we, we hit that very early on. He came to teach and we saw that. Yeah. Did he do miracles? Yeah. Did he have compassion when he saw the brokenness of humanity and he healed people and he and he brought that to the, to the world and to humanity. Yes, but his main purpose, his main reason was to teach. And it wasn't, his main purpose wasn't to come to fix your life. His main purpose was to come to teach you how to find your life, how to, how to, how to, how to change your life and how to ultimately find your life. And so the tension is with us is a lot of times we still want the genie in the bottle of Jesus. We want to rub it. We want to rub a bottle. Jesus comes out. We ask, for, we, we, we ask for what we want. He gives us what we want. And we hold on to that idea that that's what we want Jesus to be for us. That's what culture wants him to be for us. But reality is if Jesus is the main reason, if Jesus' main reason was to come and teach, what should our main reason be in pursuing him? To learn. He's the great teacher. We should be the great student or, or good students and learn from what he is teaching and what he is saying. And if, if we're really honest, a lot of times our prayers are, give me this, God, give me this, God, give me this, God, when really our prayer should be, God, teach me this, God, teach me this, God, teach me this, help me learn, help me understand. And so instead of saying, God, get rid of my boss and fix my employment situation because my boss is a jerk, God, help me learn how to deal with a jerk and submit to his authority or her authority, even though I don't want to, and be a great employee and work and do everything to the glory of God or God, get rid of my spouse, or God, fix my spouse. When really our prayer should be, God, help me to learn how to love them, even though they're flawed and broken, and help me serve them and commit to them like you, Jesus, had committed to the church, willing to lay down their life, your life, for her. And so maybe the heart of God is found when these obstacles and trials come to where we don't want to just have God fix them, but we want God to teach us. That's maybe where we will find the heart of God. And the crowd is forming. He's teaching them as is his custom, as he always does. And here comes the question. The tension builds. Verse two. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Dun, dun, dun. So this is why they think they have the perfect trap. Okay, because they just came beyond the Jordan. They're back in the region of Judea and King Herod is still in control of this area. Now, if you know about previously, John the Baptist, he was in this area and he spoke against King Herod very directly because King Herod, he married his brother's wife. He married his brother's wife, which I don't care how much power, how much influence you have. That's not a good idea. And, 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 and John the Baptist stood up and spoke against that divorce and that remarriage, and they didn't like it. And you know, ultimately what happened, long story short, they chopped off his head, put it on a silver platter and prayed it in front of a party for everybody to see. And the Pharisees like, okay, Jesus, I think you know about John. I think you know how he spoke out. 
And we have an idea of how you're going to answer this question. And maybe the Roman government will do us a favor and they'll cut your head off too. And we'll wash our hands of this and they'll do the execution so that we don't have to. We just want to get rid of you. Now, do you see how this trap was so brilliant and they thought it was going to work so perfectly? Jesus, what do you say about divorce? And they didn't just want to get the Roman government to oppose Jesus. They wanted to get the masses. They wanted to get the populace to oppose Jesus too. Because in that day and age, there was two rabbinical teachings, two rabbis that taught uh, what, what it meant or how it was lawful or what justified a divorce. And the rabbis are Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Hillel, he said that anything unclean, if you find your spouse or your wife unclean for any reason, you can, you can divorce her, dismiss her and cast her out and go on and you're free to marry another. Now, Rabbi Shammai, he said, if you find her unclean, you might think, well, that's the same thing. No, one is anything unclean. And, and Shammai says, if she is unclean. Now, this argument is going to go back to Deuteronomy, which we'll get there in a minute. But this is how Jesus answers when he says, hey, can, can, I, can, can they just write a certificate of divorce? Or can, what, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they're trying to pin Jesus to saying, are you going to choose the popular crowd? Or are you going to choose the unpopular crowd? And if you choose the unpopular crowd, this popular crowd's going to want to crucify you. They're going to want to push you out and get rid of you and execute you. And that's what they're trying to trap him in to doing. But Jesus dodges it as he very tactfully does. Verse three, he answered them. What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, he wrote you this commandment. This argument goes back to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible that was written about 1450 years ago in 1450 BC by Moses. And if you know about the first five books of the Bible, that's called the Torah, the Jewish people, that was their law. That was their Bible. That was their scriptures. That was their text. That was the very foundation of their faith. And this is what they're arguing about. They're arguing about a definition of unclean in Deuteronomy 24 that Moses allowed and permitted a divorce to take place. You see, Moses allowed the divorce, but God never commanded it. It was never a part of God's plan, God's design. He never instituted it. Moses allowed it to happen in this way for a reason, because of their hardness of hearts, because they had blown it back then. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 24. One, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. So the argument really is hinged on this one word, unclean. And Rabbi Hillel, okay, he took the word unclean and he put three kind of definitions to it. And he wrote this in rabbinical law under his teachings that people were to follow in the Jewish faith. It says, if she makes bad food, she's unclean. Like if she burns your breakfast, if it ain't good food that she's making for you. And really in the law, it was written, if she displeases with what she cooks, if she displeases you with what she cooks, you can give her a certificate of divorce. She's unclean. Go find you someone else who can be a better chef for you. Another one was if she is a brawling woman, and brawling is if she raises her voice so that the neighbors can hear her, she's defined as unclean and you can get rid of her. Wash your hands, try again, get someone else. And the third way is if you see another woman, this one baffles me. If you see another woman who is more pleasing to your eye, your wife has become unclean to you. 
So if you see another woman who are like, man, she looks way better and her body and her appeal and I'm lusting after her. I want her. You're unclean now because she's more pleasing to my eye than you. See ya, get out. And who do you think the culture is following? What rabbi teaching are they following? Rabbi Hillel. I mean, they're loving this. Oh yeah, man, no fault divorce even back then. I can do whatever I want. You know, if, you're, if I'm unhappy and you're not meeting my needs and, and you're not pleasing me in the ways in which I want to be pleased, I can define you as unclean and I can get out. And then Rabbi Shammai says, hold on a second. Deuteronomy 24, that word unclean, it comes after uh, chapters 20, 21, 22, 23, which all of those chapters talk about what's moral and immoral. And in the context of that word, Shammai said that unclean would mean sexual unfaithfulness or sexual immorality. And really the word means naked. Like if she's found naked with another man and she's defiled the, the covenant of sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife, then you are permitted to write her a certificate of divorce and, and send her out, but only for sexual immorality. And so Hillel's got the masses. He's got the crowds, man. He's the popular rabbi with that teaching. Shammai's held up with like five people thinking this really sucks, but this is the truth. And I think this is what we're supposed to do. And so the Pharisees are trying to pin the mass, the crowd who has this very lax and loose definition of unclean that Jesus is, they're thinking Jesus is going to speak against and that crowd's not going to be happy. And they're going to want to crucify him and push him out. So Jesus, what do you say about, about divorce? The Pharisees are probably like, you're a guy who believes in scripture to be true. You're a guy who's going to take this literal and, and we want to know what you have to say about it. Because if you answer the way that we think you answer, Herod might just chop your head off and do all the work for us. If you answer the way that we think you're going to answer, this crowd's going to turn on you and march you for you to be executed. Because the reality is, is the culture back then would not stand for a biblical teaching of divorce. They wouldn't. And the hard thing about right now is that our culture will not stand for a biblical teaching on marriage and divorce. If culture back then wouldn't accept it coming out of Jesus's own mouth, they're not going to accept it coming out of my mouth. Do you see why I don't want to teach this today? Because this is going to be a very unpopular view, a very unpopular opinion, and a very unpopular uh, a view of, of life and humanity and marriage and divorce. But I got to teach what he says. I got to teach what's in red letters that he spoke and I wish I could give you a biblical truth that would align with culture and make us all feel a little bit better about our past and about our decisions and maybe even one day our future, if that's the way it shakes out for you. But I got to teach you what he says. And just to be really vulnerable with you, I don't know all the intricacies of marriage and divorce. I'm not professionally trained or educated. I'm just a willing vessel that said yes, because he gifted me to stand up in front of people and talk. And I'm doing the best I got with what I feel I need to share with you. But I, in no way, claim to have all the answers. And one day I'm going to meet the man who spoke these red letters. And two things are going to happen to me as I stand up here with this call to teach the word of God. And one, he's probably going to look at me and go, I thought I wrote it pretty clearly. Why didn't you teach it clearly? And I can't blame culture and I can't blame the influence of society and the world to alter what the word of God says to make it feel good for us. I can't blame culture for that. Or I can err on the other side, which I'm going to choose to. And Jesus is going to go, bro, you took me way too serious. But I can live with that. I can live with that. And I want to dive in. And some of you over the next 15 minutes is going to want to close YouTube, close Facebook, shut off the TV, walk away because it's going to pierce deep and it's going to be hard. But I'm asking you, stay with me till the end. There's good news. 
I don't want to teach the next 15 minutes just as much as you probably don't want to hear the next 15 minutes. Because the reality is God never commanded divorce. It was never part of his plan, but Moses permitted it because we blew it as a human race back then and even today. And one of the reasons that Moses permitted the divorce is because women were being sacrificed in that culture. They were being abused and used. They were strictly property. And if she became unpleasing, they could just cast her out and then she's worthless. She's no good. But if she had a certificate of divorce, oh, then she has her freedom back and she doesn't look like damaged goods and she can go and actually live a life and have a life. And so even in the midst of the hardest of hearts and the sin that was there, God said, not to my girls, not to my women that I made. You're going to handle them in this way if you're going to separate from them. And so Moses gave them the ability and the permission to give them a certificate of divorce. And so here we go. Jesus answers them. Moses gave you this because your hardness of hearts. And verse six, it says this, but from the beginning of creation, I love it how he goes back to the beginning. He's not even going to address divorce and the intricacies and all the arguments that could happen. Let's go back to what marriage is in the beginning. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. I'm not going to go toe to toe with you about divorce and what is legal and legalism and all of that and what makes divorce right in God's eyes or not right in God's eyes. Let me go back and give you the real definition of marriage that society has hijacked and defined it for themselves and is misusing it Jesus says, let me redefine it, or let me actually give you the real definition, and that'll probably answer most of your questions about divorce and about marriage. It goes back to the beginning, page one and two of the Bible, that a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. The word one flesh in the Latin is bios. You guys ever studied biology? It's the study of life. They become one life. They become one union. They become one flesh, one sphere. It's not just sexual. It's not just emotional. It's not just spiritual. It's all of the above. It's the supernatural binding of two human souls together in marriage. And for this reason, this is the bond of marriage. And it will become stronger than any other bond another human being will have with another human being. Even stronger than parents to kids. This bond is profound. And it was his idea. He created it to become one one flesh, spiritually, socially, emotionally, sexually. They're fused together. And this is the reason that marriage exists. This is the reason that two people come together. In verse nine, he says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. No man can break this supernatural fusion of two parts into one whole, but in God's eyes cannot be separated. And so what about this, Myron? What about this, Myron? What about this scenario or this thing or this thing or this thing? No, 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 no. Let's go back and get a definition of what marriage is. Even the disciples had questions. They pull them together in the house. When they get in the house in verse 10 and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces, excuse me, divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Disciples are probably like, well, sorry we asked. That didn't really clear up anything. Like, seriously? It's more confusing. Matthew 19, Matthew, he's a tax collector. It's the same account. In his gospel, he records a little bit more detail. I think he was a tax, he was a tax collector, probably a little more detail-oriented, put some more words in there of what actually went down. It says this in Matthew 19, starting in verse 3, same account. 
Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? There's the real question. They want to know if he's going to choose Halil or Shammai for any cause, Jesus. And that's the, that's the question. And he answered, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father. And we already read all that. It's the same thing, one flesh. And then he said to them in verse seven, why then did Moses... Uh, permit one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. He said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, this clause is in Matthew, except for sexual immorality, he's taking the side of Shammai, uncleanness, sexual morality, sexual unfaithfulness, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I love the disciples. They're like, bro, why would I put a ring on it if it's for life? Like if I have no plan B, no out, it would just be simpler, easier, less painful, less hard, less dramatic if I just stayed single. And Jesus is probably like, yeah, you're right. And he goes on, he says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this same, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been, have, met, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. It's a hard saying right here from Jesus too. For the people who will receive this, this teaching is going to make some people eunuchs. They're going to choose a life of celibacy to honor God and a, and a life of singleness and celibacy. And the apostle Paul would even say, that's a blessing and a gift and you can do way more for the kingdom of God and honor him in that, yes, you can. Because the hard thing is if all sexual expression found in humanity between people is between a man and a woman for the rest of their life, what does that do for everyone else that doesn't fit that? It's hard. What happens if you get into a marriage and you realize that this isn't what you really wanted and you tried your best and it didn't work out and, and you're going to separate and, and things are going to dissolve? What do we do then? See, Jesus doesn't get legalistic in what constitutes a divorce or not. He just wanted to redefine what marriage is in a culture that hijacked it and made it all about them and what they wanted and said, you blew it. You missed it. It's never what God intended. You didn't understand fully what this design for marriage was all about about. He wanted to just redefine it for them. And I love that he went back to the very, to the very beginning. I want to give you this. Because in the beginning, you know, he made man. Blue, obviously, man. And it was Adam. His name was Adam. And he made Adam. And he gave Adam control, or he gave Adam dominion over all the living creatures in the earth. And, and it was, he was in paradise with God. It was just him and God chilling, hanging out having a blast. There was no sin, no evil, no corruption, no nothing. It was amazing. And Adam got to name all the animals and he got to rule, you know, and all that. And, and everything was good. Every time God made something, it was good. And the first time that we see in the Bible where God said it's not good is for man to be alone. So there's Adam made, look at that, in God's image, but he's alone and it wasn't good. So then he puts him into a deep sleep and he pulls from his side, he pulls a rib from him, not from his feet, not from his head, not from his heart, not from any other part of his body, but his, his side to be a helper next to him in his side. And he makes Eve, the woman. And it does take a little bit longer to mold a woman because they are beautiful. Hold on. And these two will be partners in life, helpers in life. They will get married, they'll be fruitful, they'll multiply 
And this is the way God had intended it from the very beginning. But what happens, and even in our culture, we've hijacked marriage. We think that we stand at an altar, we hold each other's hands, we put a ring on it, we sign some documentation that binds us in marriage, and we think, you know what, we don't plan to ever get divorced, but you know what, if it does happen, it'll be okay. We can separate, we can take the ring off, we can sign some more documentation, and we can separate, and that's the world's mentality of what marriage is. But God is saying, no. The thing about marriage is that God created marriage. And if God created it, he gets to define it. He has the patent. He has the blueprints. It was his invention. It was his idea from the beginning. And so if we don't have the right definition of marriage, we're going to blow this and we're going to miss this as humanity. And Jesus didn't answer according to the culture. He didn't. He didn't go along with what was popular to be popular. He spoke what was true. And I'm not going to give you an answer that this country, this state, this government, this world, our culture will agree with. He went back to page one and so do I. I want to go back to page one. Marriage isn't just this construct that Western civilization or America instituted and created. No, God created it from the very beginning. And the creator gets to define it. Just like if you invent something and have a patent on it, you get to define what it is and its purpose. God gets to do that. You see, marriage isn't just a commitment between two people on one day and put a ring on and sign some documentation. It is the fusion of two parts to make one whole. Fusion of two parts to make one whole, one flesh, one sphere, sexually, emotionally, intellectually, relationally. And yeah, God's glad that you stood at an altar and he's glad that you put a ring on. He's glad you signed the documentation. He's glad that you spent way too much money on a ceremony, whatever. He's glad that you did all that. It was awesome. But he's saying, if you don't know what marriage is, you don't know what you're getting into because you don't have the right to define marriage on your own. Or, and for that matter, to to define divorce on your own. So it's not about the ring. It's not about the papers. It's not about the ceremony. It's about a man and a woman coming together in a way in which God has designed it to be. And their heads popped off because it was amazing. And this is marriage. And you're like, oh my gosh, that looks terrible. looks like my marriage. (laughs) This is marriage. It's not two parts who have a contingency plan that can think that, yeah, I mean, the ring might still be on here and you take the ring off and you sign the papers. But man, if you try to pull this apart, it's messy. It's broken. It's scars. It's pain. It's baggage. And if you've been there, you know you've lived it. If it's been in your family, you know you've seen it. You've experienced it. This is the union, the one flesh, the two parts becoming one was God's design. He's the inventor and the creator. And marriage only works when we execute it the way in which the inventor and creator commanded it to be so. Any other form and definition will fail. And humanity, we've blown it. And when we teach this, and when I teach this, a lot of us here, a lot of us listening, are like, Myron, that was 10 years ago. That was 12 years ago, man. Like, what are you saying? God still sees me as this with my first marriage? And I would say, yeah. But what about, I know, I get it. It's hard. I got remarried and we have a blended family and three kids together. Are you saying that I'm committing adultery every time I'm with them because God still sees me as this? Yeah, but here's the truth about divorce. 
Biblical divorce can only happen for two reasons, sexual unfaithfulness or desertion by a non-Christian. In Matthew 19, we just saw Jesus said it, except for sexual immorality. And, and you know, if, if there is sexual unfaithfulness, then yes, you can separate. And in, and in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes about abandonment because the, the Corinthian church was a very sexually charged center and, and people were married and, and together, but then they started to find Jesus and one of the spouses would find Jesus and the other one wouldn't. And the, the non-Christian would abandon and leave and want nothing to do with them. And Paul says, well, that's really not on you. So that's okay for you. And the thing that's hard for me to wrap my brain around and for you too, maybe, is that God only sees two, two statuses of relationship. He sees you as single or he sees you as married, one flesh union. He doesn't see divorce. It's not in his vocabulary. That's a man-made construct that Moses implemented because of the hardness of hearts and we have defined it ourselves and we don't get to define that. God defines marriage and he doesn't see you as divorced. But Myron, what if I got divorced because of sexual unfaithfulness? Yeah, you're just now single. You're not divorced, you're just now single again. What about desertion? If I divorce because of desertion? Yeah, God sees you now as single. That was a biblical justification of why you can separate. But other than that, he still sees us this way. And the reality is, is that Paul and Jesus are responding to questions that they were asked. No one ever brought their sister to Jesus or Paul and said, hey man, it's my sister and my idiot brother-in-law is smacking her around and beating the crap out of her and she's got bruises all over. They never got that question and they never addressed it. And Paul or Jesus never gave an exhaustive list because an exhaustive list probably would never still satisfy all the conditions in which you probably need to remove yourself for your safety and for your well-being. But that doesn't mean this gets undone. Jesus wanted to go back to the definition of marriage. And I understand that some of you in here want to leave, <laughs> want to sh shut the computer, and want to say this is hard, and I know. But we don't get to define marriage. We don't get to define divorce. It was his, his idea and his plan, and this is what he wanted for his humanity. And this is beautiful. If you're, if you're single, this is beautiful if you get it right. If you're married, this is beautiful. You unlock some supernatural fusion of spiritual power when you love, out-serve, out-sacrifice the other person. Because in Ephesians 5, it even says, when you love your spouse or love your wife, you're loving yourself. It's kind of selfish to love your spouse because if you love them, it's going to go better for you. Life's going to get better for you. And that's good. You should out-serve and out-love and you will unlock a supernatural fusion of life that exists in marriage if you do it his Way. But if you've messed up, if you've blown it, made a bad decision 12 years ago, am I supposed to go back to them and leave my current family? No. But isn't this what God still sees? Yes. What do we do? Ah. Let me get back to the truth about all of us. The truth about all of us is that none of us will get into heaven because of what we have done or what we have done. It goes both ways. There's no amount of wrong or sin that you can do that would disqualify you from the grace of God through Jesus to get into heaven, nor can you earn your way by doing enough good. And all of us have at least one page in the Bible to where we've blown it. I have verse after verse, paragraph after paragraph, page after page that I could stack up and it would be thick of places in my life where I've blown it. I am no different than anybody else. We're all equal. We're all sinners. We're all equal. Romans 3.23 says, we've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is holy and he cannot be where sin is. And sin exists in every area of our life. No one is exempt from it. And this sin of divorce or this sin uh, of sexual unfaithfulness is no different than lying, stealing, 
any other sin that we see. We can't elevate a sin. We're all on the same playing field. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Your sin has to be dealt with. And so we can never take scriptures and go, well, that doesn't apply to me, but that applies to them. They're the sinner. I say, no, stop that. You're a sinner too. And we should all say, yeah, I know you're a sinner. I'm a sinner too. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. We're all in need of a savior. And it's no wonder that Jesus in Mark 10, the final section here, 13 through 16, he lets the little children come to him. And it says, and they were bringing the children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them saying, Jesus, is Jesus, but he rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them as laying his hands on them. It's kind of ironic that on his harshest teaching of divorce and marriage, he brings the kids and say, don't withhold the kids from me. This, this topic cuts deep. And we know in our society and our culture, it does cut deep. Let the kids come to me because for theirs is the kingdom of God too. And the truth is that we need, we need Jesus on the cross. We need his grace and his mercy for this. Because grace and mercy, the cross brings me grace and mercy, not what I deserve. What's crazy about this is Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. With his, with, he's, he's going to Jerusalem and he's telling his disciples, saying, hey, I got to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And they're like, why? He's like, well, the re- well, one of the reasons I have to go is because I got a hard stance on, on divorce and I got a really clear definition of marriage. And a lot of people are going to get this wrong and they need the cross for forgiveness for their mistakes. And the payment on that cross for your mistakes is good. And God honors that. And he allows us to be reconciled to him because of what Jesus did on that cross for your sin. You don't need more time and experience to figure out your life. You'll keep screwing it up just like me. You don't need another chapter in the Bible to tell you about marriage or divorce because that's not going to help you. Black and white is never going to help us humans. We're always going to fall short. We have a God who has a high standard, a holy standard, and we will always not be able to reach it. And he's got hard teachings that we have to be accountable to now that we know about them. And I don't know how to straighten out your past. I don't know how to straighten out your plan B. But all I know is that there's grace and mercy for it on the cross. And that your new life and your new plan, you are held accountable to live now. And that's my final point is that the cross allows obedience to start today. With what you've been given and what you have, you can't go back and two wrongs don't make a right and you can't get back to that. It's already done. But Jesus has got grace and forgiveness and mercy on that cross for you. In Ephesians, it also says, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. And so I'm gonna ask you today, if you've never accepted that, let the old be gone. Let, Let Jesus be good to redeem the past. And you just walk in obedience today because the cross gives you a fresh start today to walk in obedience, to follow him and what he's calling you to. This is heavy. Some of us will be single for the rest of our life. That's the call. Some of us will be celibate for the rest of our life. And that's okay. That's a blessing and a gift that Paul says. Some of us have gone through the baggage of divorce and need healing and and redemption there. And some of us are on the rocks in our marriage and we got to fight for that union and out-serve, and out-love, and out-sacrifice, and give everything we have, because it's no longer just me, it's one. And I pray now that we'd all find healing. Jesus, I pray that you would help us understand this teaching, and let us receive it the way in which you want us to receive it. 
Help us to process it and understand it and apply it to our life and live in obedience from this day forward in this truth. God, help us just uh, you know, drop the baggage and shame and guilt and pain of our past and our mistakes and let us know that, that you got them on the cross. You've paid for it. They're done. The old is gone. The new is come. And I can live in free today. And that we would pursue you with everything that we got and you would show us how to live. And you continually teach us from your word and inspire us to be everything that you've made us to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.